Your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is indeed our living hope. He is the anchor of our life. He is the author of our salvation. Your word says in Hebrews 13, 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Lord Jesus that was seated at the right hand of the Father in the first century church up in the third heaven is the same Lord Jesus that's seated at the right hand of the Father today. And we can have that same passion, zeal, and love for you that they had in the first century. So Lord, ignite that passion, ignite that fire, ignite that faith in our lives and let it be real. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. You may have a seat. If you don't have a Bible, we normally pass out Bibles, but the, the Bible verses will be on the screen. The Bible verses will be on the screen. All right. So this morning, uh, please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. This morning we'll be looking at verses 14 through 26. And the title of my message this morning is Real Faith. Real Faith. And the reason the, the title of my message is that I've given it that title is because that is the subject that we are looking at this morning. Now, why is it important that you and I have real faith in a day and age that we're living in? The apostle closes out his final letter, the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this, But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, and haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Here it is, guys. They hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men. We are called to have a real faith. We have a real faith for a fallen world. That is the only way that we're going to impact this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that not only do we have it in our heads, in our, in our hearts, but we have a real living faith to minister to people in this world to from. It's got to be real in us. It's got to be real in us before it can be real in the world. Uh, I, this week I saw a, a a church with a large billboard, an advertisement of their faith. I saw this online. It was, it was advertising their faith commitment. And in, in the church, it said this. It said, it's called the Light Church. And it said below, it said, 24% fewer commitments, home of the 5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services, and you're out of here. We only have eight commandments. You choose the eight of the ten. And we use just three spiritual laws. And it says at the bottom, everything you wanted in a church and less. And unfortunately, that's become the motto for modern day Christianity. Unfortunately, this has become the state of the, of the modern church. There's no deep commitment to scripture. There's no challenge to walk in holiness. There's no effort to live out what we believe. In essence, there's no real faith. And we need to be people of faith as the scriptures are going to point out to us this morning. Guys, I'm just a pastor following uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 uh, verse 2 where, where the apostle closes out his final letter and he says, preach the word. 
Be ready in season, out of season. Repuve, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. The word of God is my passion to give to you. I do not want to pontificate my thoughts, my ideas, but I want to communicate to you what's written in the Holy Scriptures because that is what's going to give you a real faith. So you ready to have a real faith? Maybe you have a real faith. Praise God. Be encouraged this morning. But maybe you're here this morning and you're like, ah, I don't know what real faith looks like. Well, just hang on tight because we're going to look at it because that's what James explains to us in the second half of James chapter 2. Now, the first question we have to ask when we're talking about real faith is this. What is faith? For, for a few of you who may not know what the biblical definition of what faith is. And faith is, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith is that deep conviction, I know this is true. I know this is true, Lord, and I believe in you, and I, I, I believe it's so true and it's so real that I, that I stake my life on it. That is what faith is. But then after we define the answer to what faith is, it's a valid question. Can faith be seen with our human eyes? Can faith be seen with our eyes? Can it, can it, can it be looked at? And the simple answer is yes. Faith can be seen with the human eyes. It's seen in how we live our everyday life. So this morning, let's see what James, the half-brother of Christ, will teach us about faith. So James uh, chapter 2, let's look at verses 14 through 16 in the scriptures. It says in verse 14, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Verse 17, even so, faith, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being of it in and of itself. So what the uh, James here is establishing in verses 14 through 17, it can be broken down into three categories. Verse 14, if you notice in your Bible, is a question. There's a question mark on the end. So verse 14 is the question. Verses 15 and 16 is an illustration. And verse 17 is the answer to verse 14. So in verse 14, he says, uh, he's, he's asking a rhetorical question. And the rhetorical question is, what good is faith that does not affect the way you live. In other words, you got the right theology, you got everything in place, you got the right creed in your mind, in your heart, but here's the deal, there's no fruit. That's what he's asking, there's no fruit. There, there, there's no application of life. Can that faith save him? Now, we, we've already established from the book of Romans, okay? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, man is justified by faith in Christ alone. It takes faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. And remember, Romans is a theological book with theological truths. And the book of James is a practical book. It's how faith is lived out, okay? And the illustration he gives us here, 
look at verse 15. He's talking about you believe it, you trust the Lord, now it should affect the way you live. And the illustration he gives is, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In 2021, that would be, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. That's what the, the equivalent. But we see people in need. We see people in need as an illustration of what's being said there in verses 15 and 16. And there's no desire to help them. There's no desire to help. There, there's no desire to care for them. You see them in their trouble. You see them in their difficult situation. And, and we don't extend a hand of grace. We don't offer them some kind of help, some kind of encouragement, some kind of a phone call, a text, a prayer. Uh, let me help you. Hey, let's talk about it. There's, there's got to be some kind of help. And he says in verse 17, this is practical Christian living. Remember James, practical Christian living. He says in verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Dead faith. Meaning, meaning there's nothing. It's just there. It's useless. It's dry orthodox. How many of you guys remember Rich Mullins? Rich Mullins, 1987. He wrote that song, uh, Screen Door. And he says this. He says in that song, faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. We have a submariner here. We have a gentleman here that was in, in, in the Navy and it was subs. And I think he would testify that if that sub went down with, with a screen door, what would happen? Kaboop. It would sink and everybody would die. But so, so is the case. Dead faith means there's, there's no life change. There's no life change. It's in the head. It's not in the heart. And the point of these verses, the point that, that, that James, that the Holy Spirit is using James to write the scriptures to us to get the point to get across is this. Real faith cares for other people. I care about Gary. Gary cares about me. You know, we, we go into the swamps and we chase deer down together and we help each other out as, as we go through life and we do things. But we're here to help one another. We're here, we're here to care for one another. Uh, there's a desire to help other people. There's a, a desire to be compassionate. There's a desire. Our, our faith in us produces a desire to make that phone call, send that text, visit that person in the hospital. Uh, faith in our hearts gives us that desire to help someone out financially to help our brothers and sisters, man, because we're family. We're family, and we're in this together. That is real faith. Now, as we continue to verse 18, James, as he's writing this letter to the dispersed Jews that are spread because of the persecution, in his mind, he hears an objection. He, hear, he hears a Jew, a Jewish believer, making an objection. And look at what he says in verse 18. He says, but someone may well say, someone may say, when this letter gets to you, someone in your fellowship is going to say, wait, 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 wait a minute. And they may say something like this, according to verse 18. You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What he's saying is real faith here in, in a nutshell it changes the way we live. You know, when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like getting, being run over by a freight train. It wrecks everything. It destroys the old life. 
and there's a brand new life. That in this, in this real faith, uh, he says, I will, show you by my, I will show you my faith by my works. This real faith produces works. And what are those works? Those works are what the Spirit does in our life, what the Holy Spirit does. When you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you receive, repent, and believe, and you put your trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, comes down and begins begins to work in your heart. And he begins to transform you. It's not that you're getting rid of your junk. It's not that I'm getting rid of my junk. It's that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, is helping us. There's three works that I believe take place in every believer's life. Three works that accomplish faith. And the first work is repentance. The first thing the Spirit does in our lives when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and you become born again is he gives you a heart of repentance where you say, man, I am done with the old life. I'm done living in darkness. I'm done with the deeds of the flesh. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 23, lays out those... uh, works of darkness. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in past times, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've looked at each and every one of those. And the pastor that is preaching to you this morning has been, has been guilty of every single one of these sins. This was my life. This was my life description. This is what I love to do. I wasn't a poor, miserable soul with a, of an empty void in my heart. I lived in my sin. I loved my sin. And, and, but it wasn't until I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior that the Holy Spirit came in, gave me a heart to repent and turn away from these things, that I saw these things in their truth. And all these things, these, each one of these were areas in my life that the Holy Spirit began to see and repent, repent, turn away from, turn away from. We call it sanctification. It's where the Spirit, as, as you receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you begin to walk in the faith and the Holy Spirit begins the process of sanctification and cleaning your life up and causing you to turn away from those old lives. The second work of the, that accompanies our faith is the fruit of the Spirit. Is the fruit of the Spirit. He replaces those deeds of darkness with, with, with the fruit of the, of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit continues in Galatians 5 where it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Without, without me realizing it, just by receiving Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior and getting into fellowship, the Holy Spirit began to grow these aspects in my life, these fruit. That's the, the, these, these are works. I'm trying to give you, I'm trying to give you a visual, visual, visualization of the works that come from faith and the first one was repentance. And then the, 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 the next one is the fruit of the Spirit, where God begins to grow you in these areas. You begin loving people that prior to Christ you had no ability to love. You begin experiencing a joy unspeakable 
because of the greatness of God's salvation. You experience this peace, this inner joy in your heart because you know you're in a right relationship with Christ and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And all of a sudden, before I was Christ, man, my, my flesh and my mind went crazy. I, I was like a, a ball in a little ping-pong game just going all over the place. And all of a sudden, the Lord gave me the ability to start exercising self-control. These are the works of the fruit of the Spirit. And these are the works that come via faith. The third one, the third and final work I want to present to you this morning to make an impact on this world is they, we, we need to demonstrate our repentance. We need to allow the Lord to do his work of repentance in our heart, allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. And the third one is uh, we follow his calling on our life. We follow his calling on our life. That is a work of faith. That is a fruit of the Lord's work in our life. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Family, this is the work of faith. This is the work of, this is the work that the Spirit wants to do in your life. And there's three things that I want to point out to you there in verse 10. In verse 10, he says, that one of, number one, you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. When you become a Christian, you have a new aim in life. And that aim is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't live for this world. We don't live by the standards of this world. And when the standards of this world conflict with the standards of God, we choose God's standard over the world's standards. Why? Because it says we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Our new aim in life is to please Jesus, to please him, and to please God. And then he can, in verse, verse 10, he also says in the next part of the verse, fully pleasing to him, there it is, bearing fruit in every good work. The next work, he wants you to grow. He wants you to grow, okay? God wants you to grow in your faith, to grow in your relationship with him, to love him more, to obey him more, and to follow him more. And you know what Calvary Chapel Irma is going to be for this area? We're going to be a watering hole. We're going to be a watering hole for believers to come and grow in the faith. We're going to be a Bible-studying church. We're going to open up the Word every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, because we want to work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God wants you to grow. We want you to grow. How do you grow? By this right here, by studying the Scriptures as we, as the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. As we study the word, as we meditate on the passage, as we extrapolate the truths and pull it apart and, and digest it and study it, God causes you to grow. And that is a work of real faith. And finally, he says, uh, he says it kind of goes with that second point. He says at the end of verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what we're doing now. 
That's what we're doing now. But here's the deal. We're not here to have fat heads. We're not here to grow in all this knowledge and have all this theological understanding. We want that knowledge and that understanding to go into here, into our hearts, and let the Holy Spirit take what we learn and apply it to our life. And that is a real faith at work. And that's what we're going to be about at Calvary Chapel, Irma. Verse 19. Let's look at verse 19. Continue. Very fascinating verse here. Um, really, really interesting verse. He says here in James 2.19, he says, You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. What's he saying there? He's saying that the demons have right theology. He's saying the demons have accurate theology. The demons understand Satan and his minions. They understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. They understand that they were defeated at the cross. Okay? They, they rightly understand their demise. They know that their fate is sealed in eternal destruction in the lake of fire for all eternity. And what they're going to do is they're going to, they, their attempt is to drag as many people as they can with them by keeping them from coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The, uh, but again, the demons have accurate theology. What's the differences between demons theology and our theology. I want to give you three differences. What, what, what makes our theology different? Different. First off, in a demon's theology, he opposes God. He opposes God. He opposes God. He opposes the things of God. That's his theology. The believer's theology, he is devoted to Christ. Our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ surpasses all. Surpasses all things. I have to ask you this morning, who is your ultimate allegiance to in this world? The right answer for the believer is Jesus. That, when your allegiance is to Christ Jesus, that is real faith above all, above all. Demon, demon theology, not only do they oppose God, but they hate God. They hate God and they blaspheme his name. Vice versa, on the other side, a believer, we love God. We love God and we, we honor his name. In Matthew chapter 22, um, a teacher went to Jesus and said, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. There is a love in our hearts directed towards the Lord, directed towards God. And demons will never have that. They hate God and they go against God. And we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Our love and our allegiance to Jesus Christ is above our love for our own family. That's what it means to love him with all your heart, soul, and strength, to place him first in your life. It's, it's the, in my life, Jesus is number one. Christ Jesus is number one. And then my beautiful bride and my family. And then after my family, you guys, the church, our ministry. 
But that's the pecking order, is that we love him above all things. Demons who dwell in dark places in the heavenly realms, they live in darkness. Demons flee from his presence. Demons live in darkness and they flee from his presence. Whereas a believer obeys and makes their heart, his heart, her heart, Christ's home. We, we, we welcome him. We say, Lord, come and make your abode in my heart. Come make your abode in my life. Make your tabernacle here within and inside of me. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I ask you this morning, have you made your heart his home by obeying him? Have you made your heart his home by obeying him? If you have, that's real faith. That's real faith. That's the call of the gospel is is that we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow him. And when you place God first, everything else will fall in place. Scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other other things will take care of themselves. All other things will be added. They They will take care of himself. So we love the Lord. We trust God. We obey him. We make our heart his homes. Not so with the demons. Let's continue. Verse 20. Verse 20 says, But you will, excuse me, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Now he's going to give us two illustrations, one of Abraham and one of Rahab. Let's look at the first one. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? Question. You see that faith was working with his Faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, there's two things I want to point out to you in this passage that I see in this text that that could be said about um, Abraham and Rahab. And the first thing I want you to see is that faith preceded works. Okay? Their faith came first, and then they lived a life of obedience. Then they followed through with action. The second thing, not only, not only do we see the, the, the order is faith of works, but the second thing we see is that this is complete. This is complete faith. Both illustrations that were given this morning show a complete faith, which is the point that James is trying to drive across in James chapter 2, which is uh, real faith will be followed by fruit, will be followed by works. So when it comes to Abraham, uh, verse, verse 23, verse 23 it says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now it doesn't say there in your Bible, but if you went back and looked at this in Genesis, uh, verse 23 that talks about Abraham believed God, that's actually recorded, that's actually from Genesis chapter 15. That's actually from Genesis chapter 15. And that's when Abraham's faith became real. Now, if you look up to verse 21, verse 21 comes from Genesis chapter 22. This takes place after his faith. And this is his obedience. This is that complete faith. And his obedience followed his belief. When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. Now we know what happened. 
An angel came, his son was spared, uh, a ram came from the thicket, and they provided. But the point is, is Abraham was completely sold out to the Lord in his obedience. And his obedience, his, or you want to call it obedience, you want to call it actions, you want to call it works, whatever category you want to call that, it flowed from his faith. It flowed from his faith. And the whole point of this chapter and this illustration that James has given us is this. Belief and obedience go together. Belief and obedience go together. But I'm going to, tell, I'm going to share with you what grabbed me as I was studying this passage this week. Look down at verse 23. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called what? A friend of God. What an amazing statement to be called a friend of God. I don't know about you, but that just, that echoes in my heart. That just brings such joy to me to know that because I'm a Christian, because I'm a believer, and I've been reconciled through the cross, you know, but I'm a friend. I'm a friend of God. Jesus calls me a friend. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ready for this? You are a friend of God. John chapter 15, verse 15. Jesus says these words, John 15, 15. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But here it is. But I have called you friends. Straight from Jesus' words. So we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I, I just love that phrase as a Christian, knowing that I I'm a friend of God. Now, what's some, what's some characteristics? What's some characteristics of friendship when we think about our relationship with the Lord, when we think about our relationship with God, and we compare that to our relationship with, say, a friend, someone that we hang out with? One is you get to know each other. You get to know each other. And as a Christian, it's our job to get to know the Lord. How do you do that? you got to spend time with him, okay? You know, you can connect with someone on Facebook and y'all can text, but it's not until you get together and spend the afternoon at the park or go to the movies or go shopping or go to a ball game that you start to develop a relationship. You have to come together and get to know one another. And it's the same with the Lord, that we have to understand our relationship and we have to spend time with him. We spend time with him by spending time in prayer, spending time in the word, singing songs to him, and just getting getting on your face before the Lord and saying, God, here I am, Lord. In, in, in your bedroom, in your prayer closet, shut the door, get your Bible out, play some light Christian music, and just say, Lord, here I am, and get on your knees and just cry out to the Lord. Pour out your heart to him. Share with him the things that are troubling you. Share with him the things that are bothering you. Pour your heart out before the Lord. Pour your heart out before him in the same way you would a friend. Friends are loyal. Friends are loyal. Man, Jesus has got your back. You are his child. You've been brought into his kingdom. And no matter what happens in this world, no matter what tribulation you go through, 
He has got his mighty hand on you. And he's got his mighty hand on your life. Okay? Just as friends are loyal, you say, Lord, I'm holding on to you. I'm holding on to you. And I'm staying the course. And, and I'm staying faithful. And I'm staying completely committed. Why? Because I am a friend of God. And he is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I want to get to know him. I want to spend time with him. And I want to be loyal to him. That's what it means to be a friend of God. But Abraham, going back to our James study, Abraham had complete faith. It was complete. It was belief followed by obedience. And the whole point of this, this section of Scripture is belief and obedience, belief and works go together. Let's look at the next one, verses 24 and 25. Is, uh, this is for, uh, concerning Rahab, the harlot, from uh, Joshua chapter 2. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. i got to stop right there because, again, you gotta re- you got to remember the book of Romans where it says that you're justified by faith in Christ is a theological truth, okay? We are, we are not made, placed in a right relationship with God by our works or by our deeds. There's nothing you can do to be saved. It's all a work of God. It's all on the cross. Well, Pastor David, then what's he saying in verse 24? What he's saying in verse 24 is that um, authentic faith will be preceded will not be perceived. Uh, authentic faith will be followed through by real actions in our life, by real works. And so he says there in verse 25, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Again, another beautiful illustration that James is bringing to our attention from the Old Testament. And, th- and this illustration is Rahab. And Rahab's faith was complete. She had belief followed by obedience. If you could turn it if you want to, but you don't have to, but you can make a note of it. But uh, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, she makes the following statement to the spies. She says, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. See, the Israelites were outside the camp on the other side of the Jordan. They were going to come in and take, take Jericho. But the, the, the people of Jericho, including Rahab, she had heard. The text says they had heard of the mighty deeds of Yahweh God and how the Lord uh, took them from Egypt to the promised land. The word of the Lord had gone before them, and Rahab had heard that word, and she believed it. And she, she expresses this faith in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. But then she follows through with obedience knowing how great and magnificent the God of Israel was and how true and how real he was and of the impending danger that was coming upon Jericho, she obeys the Lord by protecting the spies and keeping them from being captured because they were following Joshua's command to go into the city. Again, what we have here is another example of belief and obedience working together and it producing a complete faith producing a complete faith. You know, when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, when they believe on him, they are justified. Just like the thief, think about the thief on the cross. He didn't have an opportunity to live out works, to, to do things for the Lord. He was dying on the cross. But at that very moment, 
he was justified and he got to spend eternity in paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ. But then after that, for those of us who are still alive, God, God gives us more air to breathe, more time to live. The evidence of that faith is lived out, is demonstrated in how we live. So he says in verse 26, he closes this up. Going back to the, the question that we opened up in verse 14, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? He says in verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This, this testifies to the veracity of the change that Christ makes in our life when we get saved, okay? When you authentically repent of your sins, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he radically changes you. I, I remember in 92 when I got saved, Man, I was a sailor living in Virginia, and I don't want to say the things that I did on the weekends, but I lived for those things. I ran for those things. I, I loved those things that I was living. They were darkness. But then when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I went from Ocean Boulevard on Friday nights to going to my friend's house for Bible study. I went from going to rock concerts to listen to Hosanna Integrity music, if any of y'all remember that back from the 90s. But it was, it was a radical change. Now, sometimes that change takes place very rapidly and very quickly, but I've also seen it take place over a period of time. But the bottom line is from the moment of conversion, the moment of salvation, as the Christian life moves forward, there's a change that's taking place. Some of us fast. Some of, some of, some of us, it is fast uh, change. Some of us, it's a slow change. But it is a real change that takes place. In summary, in closing this morning, again, don't want to get people mixed up on, on, the, on salvation. We, hear me clearly, we are not saved by good works. Works, the meaning of works being how we live, is the, is the evidence that we possess a real faith, that we, have a re, that we have a real faith. I ask you this morning, do you have real faith? Do you have a real faith? Real faith, I present to you, maybe you're questioning, maybe you're not sure, real faith begins at the cross. It begins at the cross and the empty tomb. Real faith begins at the foot of the cross where Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's when you humbly bow your knee to the Lord of glory who sacrificed himself at the cross to forgive you of your sins. And then real faith, after it goes to the, it, for someone who, who's in search of real faith, it begins at the cross then it goes to the empty tomb. At the cross, man, you're humble and you're low and you're thankful. And all you can do is say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. And then real faith, for those who are in search of real faith, then it goes to the empty tomb. It goes to the empty tomb and it celebrates. It rejoices that everything Jesus said and done 
and with his sacrifice at the cross was validated by what? By his resurrection from the dead. So real faith begins at the cross. It begins at the cross and it, and it continues to look at the cross and it looks at the empty tomb. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. He gives us faith when we come to the cross. Number two, real faith is expressed in authentic repentance. Real faith is expressed in authentic repentance. Not perfect, not this perfect holier-than-thou um, state of perfection, because that's impossible. Christians still struggle with sin. But in general, the Christian life is marked by a, I don't want to do that no more. Now, you may fight with it, you may struggle with it, but you're not aiming for it no more. But you, you're, you're running away from sin. You're running away from darkness. And you're wanting to live in the truth of God's word. And you're running away from lawless deeds. Number three, real faith, the focus is on Jesus Christ and not on yourself. Real faith says, Lord, I want to be focused on you and not myself. Number four, real faith. Do you have real faith? I'm asking this morning. Have you been to the cross? Have you been to the empty tomb? Is, is there an expression of authentic repentance? Is the focus of your life on Christ Jesus? And fourthly and finally, real faith in the Christian life today, it submits to God's word in all matters of life and godliness. Real faith, Christian faith, cannot be separated from biblical truth because the scripture is God's revelation to us. It's what we study. It's what we learn. The, 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 the Bible, that Bible in your hand, uh, scripture calls it the sword of the spirit. Do you know that? It calls it the sword of the spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to bring faith in our life. The Holy Spirit being the sword, it cuts away the deeds of darkness. It cuts away the flesh. It cuts away those old habits as you continue in the word. And ultimately, the scriptures give to you and I this morning, it gives us real faith. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I pray for our faith this morning as we've looked in James chapter 2. Father, make our faith real. Make our faith real. And if anyone's here and their faith is not real, Lord, let them look to the cross. Let them look to the empty tomb. Let them understand the serious nature of sin. Help them to run from sin. Help them to focus their life on you, Lord. And Lord, help us all in this room, believers also, help us all to submit to your word in all matters of life and godliness. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.